you have been called. Before the foundations of the earth, you were chosen by the Father to be adopted through the Son and sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've been called, church, for by grace you've been saved through faith. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be known, called. We've been called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Now we seek to think differently, live honorably, care compassionately, serve selflessly, and love unconditionally that the world might see Jesus in us. Each and every one of us are called. And so, church, let us be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Let us put on the whole armor of God that we can stand against the schemes of the devil and all that would seek to distract us from the mission that is before us. You have been called. We have been called. May we, the church, be forever united in this truth. We have been called. Well, good morning, church. Are you fired up for God's word? Say yes. Yes. Come on, let's go. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. If you're new to church, Ephesians is in the New Testament. You're going to go right past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. If you get to Philippians, you went too far. Uh, Just turn one page back, and there you will find this glorious letter called Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul, to a church, to the churches in Asia Minor. You ready for this? Say yes. Yes. The series is called Called. And so when you hear the word called, I'm not sure what you think of, but for better or for worse, I think if you were to ask nine out of ten people today when you hear the word called or you hear the word uh, being called or the fact that you are being called, we would immediately probably think about these electronic bricks that are in our pockets and our purses, right? While we all may carry different sizes and brands, this device that we all carry all originated from the same archaic (laughs) source. Come on, gather around, kids. Let Pastor Jerry introduce you to this old machine. You see, before, you see, before we had Snapchat, TikTok, and Marco, y'all were like, Marco, that was a quick fad, fine. Before Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Yes, I know I said it wrong. Before there was texting, MySpace, come on, MySpace, hello, Gen X, how you doing? Before there was texting, MySpace, AOL, I see you, boomer, come on, AOL, before there was the internet itself, before anyone knew what the, the, the noise, if you don't know, ask your parents. They'll tell you all about this day and age when the internet came through this archaic device. You see, before all of that, before power lines and cell towers, there was this device that, that was actually literally wired to your wall or it sat on a kitchen counter or if you were lucky, uh, grandma had one finally in the living room. 
And it existed for one purpose, right? For one purpose. Unlike that multifaceted attention, grabbing, hypnosis machine that you have in your pocket, this had one purpose, to make and receive a call. A call, you know, someone calling you, what? To make a connection. They were, in a sense, through that ring, summonsing you to gain your attention that they may actually have a real-life conversation with you. Check this out. There is actually a feature on this electronic brick that you carry that actually does the same thing. Called to summons, to make contact for the purpose of communicating. And with the invention of this, the world took an incredible leap forward. Now, all of a sudden, if you weren't near your family, you could call them. If your parents would let you, you could stretch the cord as far as you could. (laughs) Shut yourself in a closet and speak to your friends at nighttime, after school. Guys, I'm telling you, called this gadget, this thing, what did it do? Oh, there were some downsides, though. Now, all of a sudden, work could get a hold of you 24-7, so long as you were home. And this, you could call up a neighbor if you needed some instructions for something. No more, no more having to walk across the street. Just had to wait about 15 minutes for this thing to scoot around there. Never mind, you could walk across the street faster, but now you could call them for some instructions. How about this? You have an emergency? Uh, What do you do here? Nine. Meanwhile, the house is burning all the way down. Nine, nine, one, one. Emergency calls. Come on, now we can make those as well. Celebration calls. Grandma, happy birthday. Didn't have to remember that like two weeks in advance to send it through a mail courier. I'm telling you, friends, we're talking history here called. But again, with the good comes the bad, for with this device also comes the invention of the infamous telemarketer. They got an app for that now. It is glorious. You see, friends, here's the thing. When it comes to this device, though, there was no... There was no turning off the ringer. Remember that? Like, it was like, it was, in some nights, I, I remember them well. In the middle of the night, it was like a competition, like a standoff between my mom and my grandmother. Like, this thing would ring and ring and ring and ring. Did you get it yet? And ring until one of you, until one of you either gave up on the other end or finally, of course you could do this. But as soon as you did that, what were you admitting? What would happen as soon as you did that? Come on, friends, what would happen? You just gave away that you were home. And then you had to pick up the phone and say, sorry, I have to admit I had been, what, called. It's the point of the series. You've been called. You've been called. Every single one of us has been called. The phone is ringing. Can you hear it? 
God is calling, but the big answer is this. Are you answering or are you content to let it just ring and ring and ring and ring? How is the standoff going for you? You have been called and you are being called. The Lord desires to lead you. Called. You see, people have been calling one another for centuries. But before cell towers and phone lines, people had what? Paper and pen. And what you're holding in your hand, friends, indeed is a divine call from God. You see, if your Bible, if your Bible were a telephone, it would be ringing right now. If this letter that we were about to study was a cell phone, it would be vibrating in your pocket, urging you to pick up and hear what God has to say. You've been called. The letter of Ephesians is a call to the church. The letter of Ephesians is a call to the church, both local and universal. Churches gathered like us, churches gathered in homes, churches gathered across the world. This letter exists for us to understand what it is the Lord has called us to. Written by a faithful one called by God, an apostle, Paul. What is Paul writing to do to clarify what God's call actually is? What kind of call is this? It's a call to salvation, Ephesians chapter 1. Call this your family call. Before the foundations of the earth, you were chosen by the Father to be adopted by the Son and sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You've been called into the family of God. Ephesians chapter 2, you've been called. You've been called to reconciliation, for by grace you've been saved through faith. You are now, you've been now called a friend of God. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's a call to serve. God has good works prepared in advance for us to do, church. Will we answer the call? Call it a family call. Call it a friendship call. Call it a work call. Call it an instructional call. You need some instructions? You need to know what to do next? You know how to love your wife? You need to know how? to be honoring unto your spouse? Do you know, need to know how, how the Lord calls you to parent your children? Do you need to know how to reconcile relationships? Do you need to know, uh, could you use some instructions on these things? Call it this as well. All things have been made new. We have a new life. Our family, our community, the church, you're called into the church and now we act, relate, and we treat one another differently. Why? Because we've been called. But again, on the other side of this receiver is also an urgent call. For it will not be easy. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Call it an urgent call. Call it a call to battle. The Ephesians has it all. It's a call to unity. It's a call to celebrate. It's a call to victory. For we, you're going to learn in this letter that we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The God, God, our God already has it won. It's all in here. It's all in this call. 
And the best thing about the call that comes out of this letter is that Jesus has nothing to sell. He's offering us everything in exchange for the repentance of our sins. He's calling us to, do, to new life as we lay our broken one down. Called. And so as we pick up the text, and so as we pick up the text, guess how, the, guess how this call begins? Guess how this call begins? The same way every call begins, right? How do you, uh, how do you answer a call? How, do you, how would you answer this call? Ready, 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 ready? Hello? That's exactly what the Apostle Paul does. Check out the text. Paul simply says, hello, watch. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an apostolic way of saying, hello. Hello. It's me. Is it you? It's Paul here. And I'm writing to you, the saints. And as a wonderful, glorious greeting, what does he say? Grace and peace to you. Friends, check this out. In this simple hello, Paul lays out three foundational truths about the call of God. Three foundational truths are going to be carried all the way through this letter. You can almost see the very outline of the book inside this initial greeting. You have been called. Three foundational truths. Here's the first thing about the call of God in your life. God's call is powerful. The first thing I want you to catch is this. God's call is powerful. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In this one sentence, in this one opening line, the apostle Paul is essentially sharing his personal testimony, and in doing so, he is declaring this. Our God is powerful, and his ability to call and to transform our lives is beyond our comprehension. Have you experienced that? And at first glance, you may be like, really, 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 pastor? Like, because it seems like a normal Bible hello to me. Seems like a pretty normal Bible hello to me. I've read other books of the Bible, and it seems like the Apostle Paul is pretty, uh, pretty, um, pretty standard here. Says his name. Mentions how he became apostle by the will of God. Going to go on and greet the people. Seems pretty normal. And to this, I would say you're right. You're not wrong about it being a typical greeting, but here's the deal. When you begin to realize Hebrews, when you begin to grasp Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, would you come to realize that God's word is living and active? When you come to realize that God's word is sharper than a double-edged sword, when you come to realize that God's word is able to pierce even joint and marrow, even down to the thoughts and inclinations of our heart, what you come to realize is even a simple hello is life-transforming when that hello comes from God. Every word in this book, every word in this letter comes from God himself. It's a call. And if you know Paul's story, which many of you do, you realize just how mind-blowing it is that, the, that Paul is able to say, apostle. 
When you understand Paul's story, you come to realize this is an absolutely mind-blowing sentence, that here you have this man who is now able to introduce himself as the Apostle Paul. Apostle. Messenger. One cent. Come on, this is the introductory message, so you got to get these foundational terms all established and set for us. The Apostle Paul, a messenger, one cent. In this particular instant, it's one sent by God. But here, the Apostle Paul is using this word apostle in an official capacity, an official sense. For our, just for our setting, think of it this way. It is capital A, apostle. It is one who has been officially sent by God. It was a title that was reserved for the 12, plus Matthias, who took Judas's place, And then this man, one untimely born, as the scriptures say, Paul himself. Catch this. There are no more capital A apostles today. What we're talking about here is a first century apostle, one who was personally chosen and trained by Jesus. You see, when Judas, to become an apostle, when Judas was replaced in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. The apostles got around, the disciples got around and said, we got to replace, we got to replace him. And so one of the major qualifications of his replacement was what? The person had to have seen the resurrected Jesus. Thus, when they cast the lots, Matthias was chosen. And so if you're, if you're a Bible scholar at all, or you just study the Bible a little bit, Or maybe if you haven't been around church at all, you can look at your neighbor and say, is he going to make a big deal about this? You can ask your neighbor now, is he going to make a big deal about this? Yes! You start to understand the big deal is what? How in the world, if one of the qualifications of becoming an apostle is that you had to see the resurrected Jesus, how in the world does Paul get in this club? Oh. While doing the work of an apostle, the apostle Paul shares his testimony. In the middle of sharing the message of the gospel, he's like, here, here." he just like keeps like, it's a a big old run-on proclamation. Jesus Christ died, buried, resurrected, appeared, appeared, appeared to people, appeared to this one, appeared to that one, and then, then he also appeared to me. Check it out. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, now I would remind you, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, Of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand. Here it comes. Here's the gospel that saves us, by which you were saved and being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, here it is, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive today, the Apostle Paul says. Though some have fallen asleep, they died. Now verse 7, and then check this out. He appeared to James and and then to all of the apostles. Of course, we've studied that. And now this, last of all, as one untimely born, Paul says, he appeared also to me. Awesome! How cool would that be? Now watch, watch. Watch what he recognizes. He appeared to me, one as untimely born. For I am the least of all of the apostles. 
He appeared to me even though I was unworthy to be called an apostle. Why was I unworthy? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am now what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I now work hard, and I now work harder than anyone, as hard as I can. Though it is not I who's doing all of this work now. My life has been transformed, how? But by the grace of God that is within me, I'm now called to this unique work. Whether it is I or it is they, so we preach, so we preach, so we preach, so we preach, and so you believe. Why? Because the call of God rested upon my life. It was powerful. It was radically, it radically transformed my life life. Friends, this is the call that we're talking about. The call of salvation that draws you out of darkness into glorious light. Have you received this call? What I love about this is Paul always remembered where he came from. By the will of God, he says, Do you remember your life before Jesus? Have you thought much about your life before Jesus recently? It's hard for some of us to go there, I know that. myself included. But there is a healthy measure of remembrance that enables you to recall just how powerful the transformation actually was. Paul was radically transformed. He was always striving to do well, but he never lost sight of how far he had come. To disregard the progress in your life is to disregard the power of God's call and transformation in you. Stop beating yourself up. Be honest with yourself, but never forget where you came from. You've been called. God has called you. Some of you have had radical conversions out of the world. Others of you have a story about having a radical conversion out of religion and into a relationship with Jesus. That's just as radical as the first, by the way. When I think back about my life and God's call in my life, I actually had both. I had parents who didn't go to church on Sundays. Wonderful people who are dearly loved. 16 and 18, when I was born, they did the very best they could. Love them. But I had, a, I had grandparents who woke me up for school every day, took me to church two or three times a week. And so for me, I had access to all of the world and all of church at the exact same time. I can't remember a day of my life when I didn't hear about Jesus and also some other colorful words sprinkled in. You know what I'm saying? I can't think of a day when I didn't have my grandfather or my grandmother embodying Christ before me and some pictures of some other things 
creeping in as well. In many respects, my upbringing, I felt a little spiritually schizophrenic. You know what I'm saying? If you would have asked me, I would have told you. I could have told you the gospel. Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose three days later. I could tell you I I was to repent of my sins. I could tell you that I believed it. I could tell you that I trusted it. But my upbringing also allowed me to believe that I could have feet in both places. That I could still maintain all of the world and still be in all of church. And somehow, you see, that was going to be just okay. And then there was a moment in my late teens and early 20s where the Lord dropped me. It wasn't a blinding light, but it was a message from God's word that hit me square between the eyes. And I knew enough was enough. I knew there was a moment of time where it was going to be all or nothing, all the Lord, I am all in. I knew I wouldn't be perfect from that point, but I'm not staggering the fence anymore. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not playing around. If the Lord is actually calling me, let it be what it is. Get both feet firmly planted upon the rock. Let it be true. Let it be true. What I say is true of me. God, I am a sinner. I need you, but I am living duplicit right now. Would you please, Lord God, God, forgive me of my fakeness. God, would you help me experience for my own self what you say is true in your word? You've been there. Some of y'all are there right now. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about because you're straddling that fence as we speak. Others of you say, there's no fence. Like, I'm at the world. I know where I'm at. God is calling. God is calling. The Lord is calling. When you're saved, you're radically transformed. When you're saved, you're fully saved. When you're saved, it's a glorious experience. When you're saved, it is powerful. Your salvation is a glorious story. Some of you are like, yeah, I don't really remember, though. I was young. Or this answer, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. Sometimes I wish I had a radical story. Because they're the ones that, like, get on the God at Work videos, and they're the ones that make people cry. And um, they're the ones that seem to be the ones that God uses, you know, 
the tearjerker ones, the radical ones. And if you've been radically transformed, praise God, tell your story. Tell it, tell it loud, tell it as often as you can. And yes, let's get it on video. But here's the deal. If you were saved in Sunday school, if you were saved at the year of ages of four, five, six, whatever it is, and your life has been transformed and you've been walking with the Lord, can you not see what a miracle of God that is? Can you not see the power that is in that? Do you not understand what God has rescued you from? Do you not understand the story? that you have to tell? Do you understand as you raise your kids the hope that you can actually look into their eyes and offer them with integrity to say, God can save you, son or daughter. He can do it now and he can help you. He can, he can protect you. You have a powerful story to tell because every call of God is powerful. Every transformation is radical. Everyone. Paul's was radical, so radical. How radical was it? It was so radical that he had to change his name, apparently. He was known as Saul before, and he wore the name Saul with great honor. Pharisee of Pharisees, man. The tribe he was from, he was glad to have the name Saul. First king of Israel. What do, you, what do we know about Saul before? If you look at Acts chapter 7, you're going to find this man named Saul holding coats holding coats of men who were stoning a preacher of the gospel right before his eyes. He was holding their coats as a preacher of the gospel was murdered before him. That's where Paul came from. Acts chapter 8, it says this, but Saul was ravaging the church, entering house to house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Paul labeled himself as an arrogant religious leader who led a violent anti-Christian movement in Jerusalem until Acts chapter 9. Come on, you all know the story. A blinding light from heaven on the road to Damascus drops the man to his knees. The Lord says, I have called you unto this. Offers him the call of salvation and the call of service too. Both calls at once. But here's the deal. The call of salvation he experiences in a moment. The call of service is not going to be fully realized for another 12 years. The call of service, at least the fulfillment of, the maturing of that call, if you will, is not going to really happen for another 12 years. Blinding light, drop to your knees. Paul, I'm going to use you to take the gospel of the Gentiles. You're going to be the greatest church planner to ever walk the earth, if you will, arguably. And what, what did he say? Let's go. Twelve years later, why does God do that? Do you ever ask yourself, why does God do that? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he wants to prepare you. And so for three years, Paul goes down to Arabia then he goes to Jerusalem and he meets the apostles. Then he spends another eight or nine years preaching around Tarsus, initiating that call, beginning to share the gospel, beginning to be used by the Lord, until finally a man by the name of Barnabas grabs a hold of him, if you will, recruits him, and he brings him to a church in Antioch. And there in Antioch for a year and a half, the apostle Paul and Barnabas, they train up this church and they fully mature. And it's there in Antioch where the 
The way is first called Christians. It's there in Antioch where the Holy Spirit says this, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas to do the work that I have called him to do. He will go. He will plant churches. He will reach the Gentiles. This same call, God is still doing it today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can still call individuals into this kind of service? Say yes. Why do I believe that is true? Because tonight at our Myerstown campus, we will indeed put forth a person that we believe the Holy Spirit is saying, set aside for us this one to the work that I've called him to do. From a scale of, I've called you to walk in obedience before the Lord. Pack it up. Let's go. Let's plant a church. And everything in between, you're being called. Long story short, in this text, Paul goes on, arguably to the greatest church planter in history. He records his missionary journeys are recorded in the book of Acts. He has three of them. Results in countless disciples, dozens upon dozens of churches. He plants an entire region of them, including this church in Ephesus, which leads us to the second point. God's call is powerful. Are you expecting it? I hope that you are. Be expecting God to call you all throughout this series. He has work to do in each of our hearts. Here's the second thing. God's call is positional. Let's embrace it. God's call is positional. I don't care how low or high you are in socio in your social circles or your economic status, when you are called by the Lord, it is a positional call and you're getting a promotion. Friends, let me say it again. Never underestimate the power of God's call. Let's expect it. You may not, you will not be a capital A apostle like the apostle Paul is. You may or may not be called to go plant a church or be part of a church planting team. Oh, but by God's will, may it occur. May you be stretched in your faith in this way. I can tell you this though. Every single one of us is being addressed in verse 2. Every single one of us is being addressed in verse 2. To the saints, to the saints, to the saints, to the saints, to the saints. But if you're a Bible teacher, you're like, Pastor Jerry, hold on a second. You're offering that how to study the Bible class right now. And we're always talking about author's intent. Who wrote it and who is he writing to? And I see it right here in my Bible. You're saying it's written to us, but you're just kind of speaking in hyperbole, right? You're just, you're just kind of stretching or you're just reaching a little, right? Because I see what it says here. What does your Bible say? To the saints who are in, what's yours say? To the saints who are in, does all, do all your Bibles say Ephesus? All of them? All right, you got me. But let me explain. This letter is written to you. To you. This letter is written to us. To us. Let me explain. First thing you need to know is this church, the earliest manuscripts, some of the earliest manuscripts of the letter of, F- of Ephesians, does not have. <gasps> get ready. <gasps> You have to gasp, but it's going to blow your mind. Some of the earliest, some of the earliest manuscripts does not have Ephesians listed here. That's why I asked. Maybe you had one of the early ones. To the saints. It just said to the saints. In Ephesus wasn't there. Ready? 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 You're going to gasp. To the, to the saints. It didn't have Ephesus. Ready? <gasps> I know. I was just as shocked as you were. 
Ephesus wasn't listed. Why? Well, it may seem odd. It's not a reason for concern. Keep with me. Something else you're going to notice about this letter. Come on. This is background. Unlike other epistles, there's no specific names mentioned. No specific matters of failing that need to be addressed, right? Think about all the other letters. Like, I can't believe this and call out this guy and make sure you deal with this, right? You're not going to find that. Instead, what you are going to find all throughout this letter is a call, is Paul answering the call to strengthen the church at large. What Paul is going to do in the first three chapters is deliver a rich theology, the first two and a half chapters, so a rich theology about our call to the Lord. And then three, second half of three, four, five, and six, he's going to then explain to us our call and how we go about serving the Lord, what our new unity in Christ actually looks like in the church of God. It's not, the name Ephesus isn't there in the original. It's written very general. He's beginning to write um, these theological and these ecclesiological truths to the church at large. Are you beginning to see what this actually is? What all of this is doing is moving us closer and closer to Paul's original intent. Paul wrote this letter, ready? Paul wrote this letter as a call to the church to realize the fullness of our call. It was delivered to the churches in Asia Minor as a whole, of which Ephesus was the most prominent. Thus, it is very likely that they would have received the letter first. Thus, to the saints in Ephesus. What you're holding in your hand is an, is an encyclical. What's an encyclical? It was a letter that was written to the church to be passed on from church to church to church to church to church to church to church. The early church, Ephesus, would have received this letter. Yes, I believe with all of my heart, Ephesus would have received this letter. They would have poured over it, studied it, devoured it, applied it, and then they would pass it on to the next church, and they would read it, and they would study it, and they would devour it, and they would apply it, and they would make their life formed around it, and then they would pass it on to the next church. You see why it's to us? You see what a miracle you see, the theological miracle this is? This is the great theology of preservation, God's word preserved for us. The fact that you're holding in your hands today, that it was, it is the fulfillment of Paul's original intent inspired by the Holy Spirit, that this letter would get passed around to all the churches through not only in his day, but in all of the centuries. What you're actually holding in your hand is an apologetic for the power and the presence of God as he speaks through his word. Don't blow by that. And so now Paul writes to the saints, to the saints. He's writing to all of us, your saints. That's your promotion. To the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus, that's what he's saying to us. He's writing to the church then present and every church who would read it. We are all saints, those who were called by God, who answered the call of salvation. We are now saints. We are reading what we are reading right now is Paul's manifesto. It's the fulfillment of his call, which he tells us in Ephesians chapter 3. You ready? Paul says this in Ephesians 3, verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, he says it again, before he was the least of all the apostles, now he's the least of all the saints. He says, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles 
the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that so that through the what you say so that through the what you say so that through the say church so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God may now be known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places this is our call Paul's going to teach us how we follow God's example so that even the angels will marvel at the grace and the mercy of God as we live this book out in unity. You are living examples unto the heavenly hosts. Come on, church. Note this, to be called a saint, which, by the way, Paul's going to call you a saint nine times in this letter. It's not just a passing by. It means to be declared holy, set apart, set aside for God's use. Declared holy. You were saved and set apart. Set aside, now you're sent. (laughs) You see it? Saint. Saint means to be declared holy. You're loved and saved by God. To be set apart means you're now sent. To be used unto the Lord. Even in this, we see our missional call. What kind of promotion have we received? We're going to study together in chapter 2, verse 6, that you have been raised up. You have been raised up with him, and you've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I want you to notice here, saints is plural. We're now all counted among the faithful. We're all now in Jesus Friends, this is our unity. This is our strength. 13 times in the next six chapters, Paul was going to say, remind us of this power. In Christ, your identity is in Christ. Your purpose is in Christ. The way you live, where do you find your source? It's in Christ. Your purpose is in Christ. Your practice is in Christ. Your power is in Christ. Your identity is in Christ, chapter one. Your position is in Christ, chapter two. Your purpose is in Christ, chapter four. Your practice is in Christ, chapters four and five. And your power is in Christ, chapter six. You want that again? Your position is in Christ, chapter 1. Your identity in Christ is chapter 1. Your position in Christ is chapter 2. Your purpose in Christ is chapter 3. Your practice in Christ is chapter 4 and 5, and ultimately your power. The power you have to live in Christ is found in chapter 6. And the big idea is this. We're family now. It's the church. It's the church. It's the church through which the manifold glory of God is going to be known even to the heavenly places. You are now one. We are now a family. We are a family of families. Turn to your neighbor, neighbor and say, what's up, sister, brother, whatever, whichever one it is. Just, just say that. Super important that you do that. And if you say sup, you get an extra bonus point. You're joint heirs. Church is a family. Why is this so important? Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Look, you're children now. You're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Brother and sister, you will never, ever be alone from here. If we live out this call, you'll never be alone. It's not going to be easy. You will be let down on the horizontal plane, but God's going to remind you of this. That person you sit beside, you have a unity The person you sit beside, you have a unity. You both find your unity back to Christ. 
This is what makes your, your marriage relationship so powerful. You've been called by the Lord. You're in Christ first, then your horizontal covenant. We as a church, we find our covenant first in Christ, and that's how we're able to keep horizontal unity and peace amongst one another. We are in Christ, capital C Church. That's why we don't fight with the church across the street or across the county or across the state or across the world. If they preach the gospel, we are in Christ. We may philosophically or methodologically disagree, but here's the deal. When you understand the call that God is bringing us to, we've got to be kingdom-minded. The end is coming. The days are short. They are evil before us. May the gospel prevail as we answer this call. Different cultures, races, backgrounds, genders, lineage, yet God called us all. When we repent of our sins, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, you now become a brother with that one who was once your adversary. We are, we are, you better get used to it now because you're going to be with them forever. For by grace they were saved in the same way you are. They're God's workmanship too, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That first good work might just be reconciling your relationship with them. In Christ, he says, to the saints, to the saints, to the saints, that's your position. To those who are faithful in Christ, that's your security. You're in Christ now. As branches grafted into a vine, we have no spiritual life apart from him. That's chapters 1 through 3. Let me say it again. But as saints, what are we as saints? We are those who live of the world, in the world, but not of it. You're seated with Christ positionally, spiritually. You live in the world, but not of it. You live in the world, but not of it. In the world, but not of it. And so this simple illustration is in my mind. Come on. Like a scuba diver. Like a scuba diver who relies on oxygen to traverse the sea so our soul finds its breath in Christ in order to live here. As a scuba diver needs oxygen to traverse the terrain of the sea, so does your soul need to remain in Christ. For your soul will begin to shrivel, right? Your spirit will begin to wane. When? When you aren't, when you aren't, he is your breath. He is, he is your life. He is the one who enables us to do. That's what Paul's saying. I'm the least of all. I can't breathe on my own. I can't work on my own. I can't save myself on my own. I can't talk on my own. I can't share the gospel on my own. I can't make amends on my own. I can't do any of this on my own. In the world, but not of it. And so he calls us the church those who are faithful to walk in him as saints. Why? So that the gospel can go forward and the manifold wisdom of God can be displayed. Point three. God's call. It's powerful. I hope you're expecting it throughout this series. God's calling you. God's call, it's positional. Congratulations, you've received your promotion. When you accept Christ, you are a saint. You are seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places and you've now been empowered to do extraordinary things. Let's go. Now this, it's personal. God's calling you. God's calling you. God's call is personal. God is calling you. 
For some it is salvation. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. You're looking at a sinner who has the privilege to teach the Bible to other sinners. And as a sinner, the Bible goes on to say, the wage of that sin is death, but God is calling. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He came, he died for your sins, he was buried, he rose again three days later. He says, if you confess your sins and trust in the call of God unto salvation, that you too will be saved. Answer the call. Right where you are, you confess your sins to the Lord and tell him you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Others of you, it's not a call of salvation, but it is a call to repent. You know what it is. You don't need me to, you don't, you don't need me to go through a list as a sign from the Lord that he's calling you out of that thing. You know what it is. I can list them, but you have a Bible in front of you and you have a conscience that makes you feel guilty about it. And God's going to call you, and he's calling you now to deal with that, to get that before him, to allow him to forgive you of whatever that thing is. Confess it to the Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's calling, he's calling, he's calling. It's better to answer the call now so that as we hit these portions of the text, you can say, yep, yep, I knew what it was from week one. All right, Lord, now give me that call of instruction because I've already repented. Let's get it done. Others of you, you know it's a call of service. You know you've been sitting on the sidelines. You used to serve God all the time, but you were tired, and you've got to rest. Praise God for the rest. And if you still need more rest, you take your rest. I'm not here to pressure you at all. What I am asking you to do is search your heart and listen for the Lord. Is, is it ringing? Is it ringing? And is he saying, come on now, step up, step up, step up? He could be. God's calling. Salvation. Surrender. Service. Some of y'all might just be a call of submission. You've been wrestling with God for far too long. Tip. God wins. When you find yourself wrestling with God, remind yourself of this. God always wins. What do we do? Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, Paul says. Come on, you're a saint. You're now in Christ. You are chosen by him. He is calling you out. What do you need more than anything? Grace. Grace, God gives you the grace to answer his call. What do you need? Peace. God's going to give you the peace to see it through. The challenge that stood before the church who Paul was writing in that day, it was immense. It is ominous to think that God is calling you, knowing that you're incapable of doing it yourself. It was, the call was ominous for Paul, and it was ominous for the church of Ephesus as well. Any sin that is before us, any spiritual opposition that is before us today was before them as well, if not more. 
Ephesus was the New York City of the day. Bustling as the major intersection of the world. It was the very gateway to Asia, which was why Paul saw it as a gateway for the gospel that's established a beachhead so that the, that the word of God can flow through. Darkness, spiritual opposition was waiting there. Paul knew it because he planted the church, spent three and a half years there. You can read in Acts for yourself, chapters 18 through 20, where there was this major revival where people were like burning their idols and getting rid of things that were polluting their mind. They radically turned to God until it hacked everybody off and they started to run Paul out of town and threaten to stone him. He literally got chased out. He knows what's up. There's nothing we're going to face in the world today that hadn't already been faced by the church of God. It's not going to be easy to answer God's call. It's not going to be easy to step up and change. It's not going to be easy to share the gospel in a dark world. That is why Paul ends the book by saying, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Come on, church. Pick it up and put it on. God's calling you. He's never going to call you to that which he doesn't also empower you to do. That's what makes it exciting. Paul was not naive of the challenge that stood before him, that stood before the church, and that stands before us. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. The Lord is calling. He'll give you the grace to answer and he'll give you the peace to see it through and ultimately the power, the power, the power of God to be at work in you. So that why? The manifold wisdom and glory of the Lord would be seen through his church. Because you're loved. Called, predestined by the Father to be saved by the Son, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And you've been sent. Why? Because by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works as no one should boast. Why? Because you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to go do good works. You see, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, to him be glory in the church through Christ Jesus, for now and forevermore. You have been called. Let's answer the call that God's will might be done in our lives and in our generation. So, Father, we come. And we praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your word. We praise you for your call in each and every one of our lives. God, it's a reason to celebrate. It's a reason for us to kind of sit up and Be of strong posture, recognizing, Lord God, that you have given all of us a purpose. You've called us according to your purpose. May we see it today. May we celebrate as we look back upon who we once were, to who you've transformed us to be, that we could be used by you. Lord, you changed our heart. Lord, now would you strengthen our homes. Lord, now would you unite our church. Lord, now would you allow your manifold wisdom to be gleaming and beaming from this place, from your people as we go, we pray. 
But now this, Lord, I pray for those who have not answered your call. Would you please work in their hearts and lives right now? Friend, right where you are, you can cry out to the Lord and ask him to save your soul. Admit that you're a sinner that needs a savior. And you desire Jesus to be the Lord of your life. The Lord will transform. He'll connect you to his church. He'll help you grow. He'll grant you the call of salvation. Then he's going to grant you a call of great purpose to be used by him. And so, Father, now, even as you're doing your saving work in this room, empower us all. May you be honored and glorified as we celebrate this truth. Back to you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.